Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you. Happy summer to you. I hope you're experiencing all that the summer allows you to. Maybe river floats and time spent outside and gardening and, and I, I don't know, pickleball. I think people are doing that. It's hitting the, hit the world now. So um, hope you're doing that. Um, we're continuing today in our series called Summer Playlist. And maybe you're listening to these songs as you're out playing during the summer. And um, today we get to talk about another invitation from Jesus. And it's an invitation to respond. The song I would invite you perhaps to listen to, if you can pull it up on your Spotify, uh, recorded in 1987 by the band U2. It is the second track on the Joshua Tree album. It is called... And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, hit number one on the charts and became the kind of song that makes its way to many a summer playlist. We listen to that song, it actually seems to ask more questions than it answers. Uh, it speaks of a longing. It speaks of this human ache to experience God in a real way and yet always feeling like it's somehow incomplete. That part of the human condition is that it feels like there's this never-ending itch to see God in a greater way, knowing that my own failings will hinder that view. Yet the hope we share is that although at times we feel lost in, in what to do and where to go, that we seek the God who finds lost things, the God who finds us who intercepts us with the joy that this series is all about. And in fact, with that in mind, let's read together the series scripture, Big Voices, Go, John 10.10. 10. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life, indeed so they could live life to the fullest. So, how do we experience that life? To the fullest amidst the many things that would try to drain that out of us in life. How do, how do we find God's joy, or perhaps more accurately, how do we allow God's joy to find us? Well, Jesus had a great way of answering questions like that. He would tell stories. We call them parables. He tells these stories to help us see God as God actually is, to see what we're missing about God. And at one point, Jesus shared three stories that have to do with this very topic, what it means to be lost, what it means to be found, and what truths God may want to reveal to us about our lives amidst being lost and found. In fact, Jesus was actually responding to the religious leaders who were questioning how, why Jesus would engage these folks that they viewed as sinners. They're like, why, why is he hanging out with these people? And I, I would put sinners in quotes, really, but that's how they viewed them. So Jesus takes this time, tells these stories to reveal how God feels about all of us. The, the, the beautiful and flawed humanity that occupied this spinning globe. You can find these stories in the book of Luke 
chapter 15, but for the sake of time, I'll essentially paraphrase them as we go. And as nice as the stories are, they, they all actually point to one thing, a response from us, a new understanding for us regarding how God sees us. And the first response I would identify as this. Respond in the knowledge that God is searching for you. So Jesus starts with this. He says, what, what if somebody had a, a hundred sheep, okay, and one of them wanders off and gets lost out there? Well, what's the shepherd going to do? They're going to leave the 99 that are safe, and they're going to go after the one who is lost. They're going to work to go searching for the one that is lost. And when they find that sheep out there in the wild, alone and scared, that shepherd's going to put them on their shoulders and carry them back. And when he comes back to the fold, that shepherd's going to throw a party because they found the one that was lost. Jesus says, God's like that with us. Now, this is not a far-fetched scenario to me, especially for anyone who has been around sheep, because it is work to go after lost sheep, and this is the work that God does. Paula, for a season when we were in Bible college, she lived in this house with some other folks, and it was a missionary who owned this house on this farm, and the missionary would be overseas, so they would live in the house and take care of it while the missionary was gone. The missionary had sheep. There was all these sheep that they would have to take care of and kind of look out for. And every now and then, the sheep would get out. Now, these weren't the pretty sheep that you see, like in magazines, you know, or on TV, like, you know, the actor and actress kind of sheep, you know, lovely sheep. These were not that. These sheep looked like they were like mutations like they were the offspring of a llama and an alligator. Like that's how their faces kind of looked. I mean, they were not pretty sheep. And, as, and, and they were, they were kind of, they're, they're as ugly as they were on the outside, they were even uglier on the inside as far as their attitudes. They're, they're horrible animals. And, um, and I, we knew this because several times they, they would break out of their, their pasture and we'd be driving up and suddenly we'd see all the sheep like on the road. And we have to pull over and we're trying to, trying to herd the sheep back into the place. And, and you know, they're, you know they're, they're all rough sheep and they're, you know, hitchhiking and stuff. We're trying to get them off of the road and like, come on, move in here. And, and, and we're trying to help them. We're trying to save their lives because they're going to become mutton chops if, if we don't get them into the pasture. And, and, and we would be attempting to move them and they would either run away from us or they would turn and try to butt us. Us who was trying to rescue them. Us who was trying to save them. This is what they would do. And so we'd go through this whole thing, moving these sheep back into the pasture. By the end of it, we were sweaty. We were exhausted. We were muddy. We were sheepy. It was, it was, it was a horrible, horrible amount of effort to try to rescue these sheep. Every time we saved them, they seemed to not reply in a good way. Searching for those sheep, it, it was work. And yet we did it because it was our responsibility. God actually searches for us because God loves us. Just as messy a work, just as difficult of work, but God does it because God loves us and God continues to love us. Guess what? Even when we run, 
God pursues us. Now, sometimes that, that word can be weird for us because, you know, a lot of times we're like, well, I'm not really running away from God, but that's nuanced, right? We know sometimes in our hearts there's places that we're running from God. We know that that can happen. But we all have, have these moments, right, where, where we're really not turning towards Jesus. We're really in some ways moving away from Jesus. And deep down, I think, amidst our running, we, we know that. Uh, we know that even we might attempt to hide. And it's not hard to understand. Uh, you know, in an early age, what's our favorite game? Hide and seek, right? Love to play hide and seek. But when you're kids, it's different because when you play hide and seek, the, the goal is to be found, right? So when you're playing hide and seek with a kid, it's not difficult. You'll go into the living room, there's the curtains there, you don't even see the shoes out the bottom of it. You stand out in front of them and the shoes start to quiver because they're laughing. <laughs> you can hear them giggling. <laughs> and you go, hey, I found you. And they love that all oh, to be found when you're a kid. That's the best thing to be found when you're a kid. But man, when you grow up and you play hide and seek, your goal becomes, I don't want to be found anymore. Man, people have hidden places for a long time. We get better as we grow up at hiding, at running. And yet this truth still remains. That God is searching for you. That not only does God see you, God is pursuing you in this moment. That God wants to rescue and find you. That's why Jesus came from heaven to earth in the first place, because he was looking for us. Jesus was pursuing us. So we get to respond in the knowledge that God is searching for you. Now, there's a second thing. The second story reveals a second response, and it's this. Respond in the knowledge that God is laboring for you. Okay, so here's the story Jesus tells. He says, suppose there's this woman. She has ten coins of great value, but she loses one. In her house, right? And so she tears the house apart. She throws the furniture out onto the lawn. She moves all the, all the carpet. She gets behind the couch cushions and she tears everything up and just starts to sweep so she can find this coin, this one coin, this valuable coin to her. And eventually she's able to find it. And when she finds it, what does she do? She throws a party. Because what was lost is now found. The story shows us that God sees us and sees you as something of great value. Sadly, at times, I think we're confused on that point. I, I think we see ourselves at times as the object of God's wrath, yet Scripture tells us we are absolutely the object of God's love, God's adoration, that God values us like that. But at times... Life makes that hard for us to see, doesn't it? We get, get covered over by the dirt of our mistakes and our selfishness and our confusion by what the Bible calls sin. That's the debris of our lives, isn't it? And we all see it. We all have it. We all know those times when it feels like we're underneath it. In, in fact, that life of all those mistakes and, and all that sin, it actually comes to us really naturally, doesn't it? <laughs> I had a friend who used to say, I don't really struggle with sin. No, I'm actually really good at it. <laughs> it just comes out. And I think most of us would agree with that. 
I mean, I mean, think of parents. You've never, as a parent, had to teach your child how to throw a tantrum, right? You know, and you're in, and they're in the store, and then and, and you're Walmart, and then they're like, oh, I want that toy, and they start to, to bubble over. You don't have to bend down and teach them. You know, if you really want to throw a tantrum, here's what you do. You're going to want to throw yourself down. You're going to want to scream as loud as you can, something piercing, something that breaks glass. That would be nice. And I just want you to kick your legs on the floor there. If you could do it in Walmart, that's great. If you're a classier child, do it in Target. But man, that's what you want to do right there. And that's how you throw a tantrum. You don't have to teach a child that. (laughs) We don't have to teach each other how to be self-centered. It's our default condition. But the problem is this. It gets in the way of relationship with each other. It gets in the way of relationship with God. And it's a debris that must then be swept away. And so what we can know is that God is sweeping. (laughs) Because we can end up covered over by that debris. We can end up separated and hidden from the God who's searching for us. And just like that coin, we are stuck. We are literally stuck. But this parable paints the picture of our ability to fix, of our inability to fix ourselves, knowing that it's only God that can get us unstuck. It's only God that can remove us from the dirt. This is what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to sweep away that which stands between us and Jesus. That. That's what God wants to deal with. Uh, so much of, of our lives, we're, we're, we're trying to use our own ability, like thinking we have this ability for self-redemption, but we don't. The truth is we, we can't even move. We're like a coin. A coin can't do anything. It just lies there. We can't move. We, we, we can't cry out. We are at the mercy of the one who is sweeping the house to find us. And thankfully, that one never stops searching for us. Like the coin, we cannot redeem ourselves. So God sends his son as our redeemer. We can't do it, but Jesus can. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's, that's, that's why that took place, to do what I couldn't do. That's what Jesus did. The cross reminds us that God is willing to die for us, to pay for us, to redeem us, to see all of our sin swept away. Just like that woman searching for that valuable coin. That's the work that God is doing on your behalf right now. In fact, Jesus did all of the work, gave all of himself to redeem us. So respond in the the knowledge that God is laboring for you. He's doing that work. Here's the last thing. Respond in the knowledge that God is waiting for you. The final story is a story we we actually talked about not too long ago. It's uh, known as the story of the prodigal son, which isn't the best description of it because it's really about the father. How the father responds is really the focus of the story. And it's actually about two sons, not just one. But to give you the, the premise, there was a son asked his father for his inheritance early, and so and he took it. Father gave it to him, he took him, he ran off on wild living, spent all of his money, came back, ultimately came to his senses, and came back just saying, you know, I know I, I should just be a servant in my father's household, that would be better. Came back to the house, and as he's crossing the pasture, the father runs and embraces him. He says, my son has returned back home, and he throws this party, <laughs> 
kills the fattened calf, throws this party because what was lost was found. And this is another picture of how God views us. And again, Jesus is saying, this is how God is. God is is longing and waiting for his children to come home, wanting his children to experience his love. We are not called to earn God's love. We are called to accept God's love. But there's this other part of the story that is just as important. We tend to not focus on it, so I wanted to fill in this part because there is, as I mentioned, more than one son in the story. There is an older brother, what some would call the the good brother, perhaps, or maybe he would think of himself as the good brother, the one that didn't run away from home. And this, this, this older brother is so mad that the younger brother got this party, that that the younger brother got embraced, that the younger brother was accepted back into the family. And he at one point expresses, I've been working all this time. I've been here, I've stayed, I've been loyal, I've been doing my chores, I've gone to all the weird family events and had to deal with weird uncles and weird aunts. And the the older son is just beside himself. And, And then one of the funniest lines from any parable He basically says, you gave that guy that took half the money and ran off, you gave him the fattened calf, and this is the line, but you never even gave like a little goat for me and my friends to party with. (laughs) Like they really knew how to party. Man, yeah, tiny goat, man, that would have been great, but you didn't even do that. He was so mad that the father would give this gift of relationship, of a love not earned, that the other son in the story, he ends up not even going to the party. He's just mad, sitting on the porch. I'm not going in there. So here's the sad truth. Our choice to repent can be undermined by our choice to resent. That's what he was choosing. He was choosing resentment. He was choosing, I'm just going to resent now. And it kept him from repenting. His resentment was, was, was why, why would you let him have that instead of me? And maybe that can come out of us. God, why did you let them have the easy life and not me? Why does my life have to look like this? They seem to have it all together. They seem to have everything. I have what I get is struggle and pain, and that can lead to resentment. And too often that resentment keeps us out of God's party. It keeps us out of this celebration. (laughs) It did with this brother, and it can do the same with us. And he missed the truth that all of us have a father who loves us and gave everything to save us. And that father is inviting us to this great party that he's throwing. This older brother was blind to that. Because he thought it was about what he deserved. He missed the fact that the father wanted to give him more than he deserved. That's grace. Now Jesus in that parable was speaking directly to the religious leaders that were in the room. That's who he was really speaking to when he shared this story. Especially speaking of the older brother. Because that's the reference. They knew he was talking about them. But it also speaks directly to us. That the Father offers this gift of redemption and waits for us to finally receive it, to finally 
accept it. Not to earn it, but to enter the celebration. God's waiting for you not to come as a slave, but to come as a daughter and as a son. God's inviting you home. And today is the day that you can say yes to that invitation. See, this is what brings these stories of Jesus full circle. Not only did Jesus come to pursue us and to die on a cross to redeem us, but he rose again on the third day to prove prove death itself has been defeated. And because Jesus is alive, Jesus is waiting for us, waiting for us to respond, offering life to us and life to the full, waiting for us to say yes to him. So, respond in the knowledge that God is waiting for you to come home. I'll wrap up with this. Maybe all of this brings us back to that classic 80s song that I mentioned in the beginning from U2. This declaration that I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Maybe it's time that we look at that phrase a little bit differently. That the answer I am seeking is not discovered in what I can find. No, the answer is discovered in being found. That God is searching. God is laboring. God is waiting for you. God is actively seeking your redemption. And if it was only God's choice, you would be found right now in this moment. But there is a part that we play We must answer this question, am I findable? (laughs) God's done everything else, but this part is up to us. We get to accept this gift of being found. We get to agree with God that we need him. Maybe you have a noisy, busy life, but it's, it's not so comfortable when things get quiet for you, when you're just alone with your thoughts. Jesus wants to find you right there. Maybe at times you feel trapped in fear, anxiety, depression. Jesus wants to find you there. Maybe it seems like to others that you have everything. You got family, you got friends, but really, if you're honest inside, you still feel empty. Jesus wants to find you there. Maybe you're just so busy, man, you've been pursuing that career and those passions, but somehow, It's just never enough. Jesus wants to find you there. There is a truth that applies to every person, and it's this. Our heart is restless until we find rest in Christ. And here's the great thing that each of these stories has in common. That that as we respond, and as we finally come home, And when we are found, here's what happens. God throws a party, (laughs) a celebration. You're invited to that party today. You're invited to come home. You're invited to be found. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.